Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Lee Ankrum is a functional bodywork practitioner, teacher and founder of the Ankrum Institute in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This training center teaches practitioners to work with the body's natural intelligence to restore health and balance by addressing the root cause of physical challenges for each individual. Lee has more than 37 years of experience using osteopathic manipulation, visceral manipulation, myofascial release, neuromuscular therapy, and craniosacral therapy, using them all to treat her patients holistically and integratively, because she believes this is the future of healthcare. And so do I. So welcome, Lee. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Well, you know what? I have to admit something here, because so much of the terminology I have just spoken out there is actually quite unfamiliar to me because these healing modalities were not taught at medical school. And so mm-hmm. I think we really need to start with getting right to the basics. Um, okay. Can you tell me, what do you mean when you use the words functional bodywork? So when we're talking about functional, we're talking about the greater picture of what is going on or what's happening for somebody. So I, as the practitioner, need to have awareness of all the ways that the body works. And so I'm looking for which system is the originator of the problem that's coming out in a symptom, most likely in some other system. So when you come to me, I need to know what is the map of the referral pain out of the organs that would be could create the pain pattern that you have. And one of my big examples that I always say is like your liver, your liver lives on the right side, you know, underneath your respiratory diaphragm is the biggest part of the liver. When the liver has issues going on with it, the pain patterns for the liver can be right shoulder, right neck, and It can change the position of your right hip. So I have to know this. I have to understand this from a more functional global standpoint so that if I treat only your shoulder, you're going to come into me next week. Your shoulder is going to be back in the same position or same pain pattern that it was before. So I have to know and understand from a much more functional standpoint, not just metabolically functional, but from referral pain function because it is actually huge but that's a really common example to give you on how you have to step back and really look at someone you know Mm. muscles are a map of the symptoms I guess my next question that I'd actually written down but you've actually gone on on to to explain it anyways is how does it differ from physiotherapy because that's the body work that you know doctors tend to refer their patients whenever they have a musculoskeletal complaint and it really sounds like 
a physio is going to be looking at the structure of that particular area that we're mm-hmm. complaining of um, mm-hmm. and focus on focus on that. Whereas what I'm really hearing you say is that you consider where in the body that pain may be being referred from. Yes. Rather than just yeah. looking at the 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 musculoskeletal physical setup absolutely you you nailed it and and let me say this is that i've studied uh in different parts of the world so i've studied in england i did a big long year-long study there of biodynamic cranial sacral and then i did my osteopathic um study for five years up in vancouver and what that allowed me as an american allowed me to do was to be in the presence of people from other countries so that I was experiencing, you know, the thinking and the the ways in which other countries do things. So I say this because especially in my osteopathic class, it was a five-year training up in Vancouver, is we had physios up there. The physios from other countries are so much more educated than the physical therapists here in the States. But still, if you stay focused on the muscles, musculoskeletal system, you're limiting your view and you're limiting your potential of helping this person back to health. So that is like a huge part that is so important to understand. And if we don't go here, if we because medicine is doing this too, staying focused on your symptom versus where is the core or the root whatever the word is you want to say of that symptom coming from. And that to me is functional. You know, that to me is functional. Mm, mm. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the real, the real difference between um, a more traditional conventional approach to the functional approach, the functional approach I'm really hearing has a focus on what the underlying root is to give the symptom. Um, Right. To say, I mean, if you're speaking to a doctor about that, they're also doing that, or they're also they're also doing that. They're trying to look at a symptom and explain the cause of it. Um, if right. someone presents with lower abdominal pain um, on the right side and they diagnose appendicitis, then that's going to be right. the root cause of their the root cause right. of the problem. Um, I guess um, things can get more difficult when dealing with more chronic. Um, symptoms and there can be a, a bit of a disconnect with um, how to how to deal with them which is why it's right. so important that we have um, awareness of all the different healing modalities that are available within the community so that a doctor can refer patients on to practitioners like yourselves who have a greater understanding perhaps of how to manage um how to manage our patients more holistically and um, with a with a greater understanding of how perhaps emotional um, and stress, as you say, plays out within the body and lives within the body to give symptoms that mm-hmm. really doctors can't find, you know, a, a, a particular cause for. So can you give me an example um, of the types of patients that you do tend to see within your practice? Oh, oh, oh. You know, I have to say that, well, first of all, age wise, I can see him as young as two hours old to 
a hundred, you know, whatever to what, to whatever, you know, a hundred, 110, whatever. So there isn't an age group that I, I see so many children and so many babies, but, but I also see a lot of, a lot of adults and, you know, I, I mean, I see everything. Okay. So what are the things that I see? Well, you know, a lot of times in the, in the young age, you know, lots of the parents are bringing their kids for two common reasons. One is, is they want to save their child from having braces. So widening the palate, actually helping to normalize teeth that have come in crookedly or something like this. And then an, the other, another thing for them, of well, actually, I should have said three, ear infections. So we work a lot with helping the, 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 the positioning so that the ear and so that the ears will stop having ear infections and having fluid in the ears. I, I heard things that I've never heard before. First of all, did not um, ever hear anyone talk about manipulating the palate. Um, that sounds like very new information to me. And even, um, I guess, manipulating um, the, well, I want to know, what are you manipulating to ease um, the ear infections? Um, this is such a common problem and all I've ever heard um, people solving it with is grommets, for example. So tell me, like, oh, right, is, is right. this, this mm-hmm. is craniosacral therapy. Am I right that you're talking it's, about? It, it definitely is part of it. Definitely is part of it. So, OK, so let's start with we'll talk about ear infections. So my belief is, is that the temporal bone, so that's the bone here that your ear is on, one of the cranial bones. And the temporal bone is an interesting bone because like when we're going through the canal and we are getting squeezed and we're making turns, you know, you make two quarter turns coming through the birth canal. So your bones can definitely get shifted. And that is just so common. Okay, so one of the things is the temporal bone is designed to be like a relief valve so that if I'm getting compressions and pressures, my temporal bones will shift in order to. So what the deal is, is that my ear canal, which is a drainage line, now the drainage line is not lined up. So one of the things that I, as the practitioner, have to do is put the temporal bone, and it's not like you're, you know, there are subtle and small ways through cranial sacrals and stuff to to kind of organize the temporal bone so it's seated correctly so that then it will drain because that is one of the big things around for us is that that the fluids drain correctly in our bodies. You know, the other thing is, is that if somebody's had chronic ear infections and they and to me, this is the way I look at things is that long term, those are going to be the people that are going to be dizzy later, that are going to have vertigo later because you've got scar tissue in there that hasn't actually been addressed. 
So I like to help kids, especially so that there's not a long term people. That's the other thing we don't take into consideration is that things are things build and create more symptomology over time. Right. So it's it's a big one. So I'm helping tons of children. And what I do when I do a newborn is I'm always checking the drainage, the ear canal direction. So when I get them, I just gently put my finger on the outer part of the ear and the ear canal, and I can feel which angle it's at and what angle it should be at so that we can like not even let they don't even have to go there for having some kind of ear infections. So there's that. Now, the palate is so interesting because I'll speak to newborns and then I'll speak to children a little bit older and stuff. When I when I have a newborn, what I what I one of the many things I do is I have them suck on my fingers so that I can actually feel what their suck is like and where they're sucking. So you don't want a newborn sucking well sucking in the front, you know, really hard in the front. You want to feel like the suck is really through the whole palate and kind of opens up and that you can feel it in the throat as well. So there's this whole wanting to feel the suck be more complete. And the reason why I also say this is because it's so common coming through the birth canal that there e- that either one of two sort of things happens is one is they get squeezed from side to side so they're narrower and the and the palate is high when the palate is high it's trouble sucking and also what tends to happen is crowded teeth so they're going they can get crowded teeth because there's so much tension in this narrowed palate the other thing that happens with the narrowed palate is is that Often, not always, these children will, it will take them longer for their teeth to come in. And then it takes them longer for the teeth to, to fall out, you know, so they're the ones and the parents, you know, tell me this. And oftentimes when I come in and I take the tension out of the palate, they'll start losing their teeth. You know, they're probably seven or something like that. They start losing lots of teeth that should have gone in a more natural kind of progression, but, you know, because that's, that's where that is. So anyway, one of the things I do is also that you can also find is, so the compression this way creates a high palate, the compression down the frontal, where it's on the top of the head and the frontal is it flattens the palate. The ones, the children with flattened palates, more flat, not all of them, but a lot of them, will suck their thumb or suck their fingers because what they're trying to do is some inherent thing tells them there's pressure and they're trying to alleviate some of the pressure. Yes, you can have children who feel unsafe and all this and are nurturing themselves or soothing themselves by sucking. But a lot of times because the palate is too low and they're in there sucking on it, trying to help themselves have this opening that can happen. So there is that, you know. So cranial sacral massage or cranial sacral therapy, I should say. Yeah, yes. Is an approach which is looking at the minute structures in which the muscles and fascia and bones align in the... No, okay, tell me. So Yeah, having nothing to do with muscles. 
So it doesn't have anything to do with muscles. So yes, you're correct in that it is about the cranial bones. And But what makes up the cranial sacral system are the cranial bones, your sacrum, the three layers of meninges, the, which is the deepest layer of fascia. The meninges are the fascia that's in the cranial system. Those three layers... And they and and the cerebrospinal fluid that circulates between some of the layers and within parts of the brain. So that is the basic that, that's the makeup of the cranial sacral system. Now, why it is that the cranial sacral system, that the that the cranial bones, membranes, and fluids, when they are affected by whatever, a concussion, birth, whatever. Okay, is why they are, I don't know this, is why they are part of the autonomic nerve system. So when you have issues here, you have issues that play out in your autonomic nervous system, which is the system that is your regulatory system that's running you, right? It's basically running you. And the more compression, the more stuff I have going on cranial sacrally, which impacts, of course, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic as part of that auto-regulating system, it messes with that. And so our body work way, my body work way to interface with people who are anxious, stressed, who can't sleep, who have things like this going on, is to come in through the cranial sacral system in order to bring down all of the compression, the t the tone, the all the things, the torquings and twistings that are happening within our head and also freeing the sacrum at the bottom end because the meninges, those membranes are connected to your sacrum so that you have a system. That's why it's called cranial sacral. It's a system that's going between them. Okay. And so what does that look like on a practical level you mean like like what does it look like are you asking me symptoms or are you asking me like treatment treatment i'm looking so I, I hear that people are coming in when they've got a dysregulated nervous system that's something that you do treat um symptoms of anxiety um are yeah. sleep dysregulation constipation you know um a, a panicky anxiety fight or flights, or that somebody coming in who's been to every practitioner and nobody's been able to help them. So that's why I'm going over there. But what does it practically look like? Well, cranial sacral is such a horse of a different color because it is a much lighter touch. It is, you have to learn your depth of perception has to really increase. I mean, I've been doing cranial sacral since 1990. And so my, my ability to perceive and be able to feel through the bones and into the brain structure grows every year. So it takes a while to get there, but you're feeling for dysregulation. You know, the, the first level of helping somebody tends to be you're feeling for the dysregulation of the way the bones are fitting together. OK, and then when you start to get a little bit more palpatory sense, you actually can feel into what the membranes are doing, but also how it's impacting the brain and 
feeling whether you can feel the circulation of the cerebrospinal fluid around the brain and within the brain. And you correcting, what a practitioner correcting, helping the body to, to correct that, because you're always asking the body to do it. That's the thing, is that I don't consider myself a fixer or anything. I'm always helping the body to, to come out and help itself. It's just profound, you know. So it sounds like, you know, you are one of the, you, a, a big section of your patients are patients that really no one else has managed to help. And you see yeah. them with fresh eyes and take a very thorough history. And from mm-hmm. and, and you're, you're really considering all the emotional layers that are impacting the physical um, presentation. Yeah. And just going slowly, slowly into that, into into that, using all the tools in your tool belt, in, in your tool belt, tool belt. Right, right. So one being right. cranial sacral, and that sounds as if it's a gentle introduction, just to sort of relax the nervous system and perhaps allow a deeper level of therapy to follow, and um, when right. their body feels able. Right, because here's one of my biggest things, because I, I start my training with the principles of how a body works. There's all these principles on how a body works. But my one of my number one things is, is that the treatment plan is in the body. So you, I, all of us practitioners have to learn how to read the treatment plan. So I know you came for, for low back pain. So I acknowledge that. But the other thing that, that high, this high, you know, sympathetic fight or flights does is increase your pain. That's one of the physiological things that it does is it heightens your pain. So you can have cranial sacral and that may diminish your, like that may be one of the first things it does is take your pain level down. So, you know, that is the treatment plan is in you. It's not in my head. What's in my head is all of this knowledge, all of this understanding. And I also have a high level of skill. And I put all of that together and listen to your body so that your body says where you have to start is here. So that's what I do. You know, if it tells me I have to start on your adrenal glands, I'm going to start on your adrenal glands. But if it says I have to start on your cranial sacrally, I do that. If it says I need to like come in and start talking to your liver, then I'm going to do that. So, you know, I prep, prep a little first and then I come and talk to it. But, but your body tells me what to do. And I teach that to the students. And it's one of the harder things. It's a harder thing to learn. You know, it's harder to learn. Most of the early students, what they really want from me is okay somebody comes in with low back pain you do a b c d because it's much harder to learn that your body's telling me and the treatment plan has to unfold from you not from me you know so it's a much that's why my training is more like bigger greater more and there's a challenge to it because i'm asking you to come out of a safe sort of analytical this is the way it's done to here's all this way to look at the body and here are all the treatments for the liver now the body's telling you to work the liver which treatment does it want is it also asking you for so it's a really a much bigger kind of concept to um you know there there's nobody doing this 
there's nobody really, really doing this. You know, my osteopathic school helped me to put together all the things that I had studied before I got there. And it was brilliant. It was amazing. But it what it did was create an amazing kind of coming together with an understanding for me that really has. And, you know, I graduated in 2008 uh, from osteopathic school and that it's been all these years and every year I get to understand it more deeply and, and bigger. And that's why I started calling it functional because be, well, because you've heard for the last however long hour, like my whole functional approach, you know. So I'm really sensing that you've got a very intuitive kind of um, approach. What and you've also said it's, it is difficult to teach and perhaps difficult to understand um, how to learn to take the lead from the patient's body, especially when it doesn't sound like the the pain could be referred from somewhere else and be, because of something right. else. So. But- but here's here's the thing, example. So the first example I used with the liver. And so you have right shoulder, right neck pain, okay? So one of the things that I teach the students to do is first, when I first put my hands on your body, I have to introduce myself. It's not like, oh yeah, let me just jump right in and do this. So one of the ways in which I do that is, is that we'll do something like the example, hold the respiratory diaphragm. Well, your liver sits on the right, underneath the right side of the respiratory diaphragm. So when I put my hand under your body and on top of your body onto the respiratory diaphragm, and then what it, what happens is, is that your liver is having an issue. It will feel harder on the right side of your diaphragm. So this isn't, so yes, some of this is intuitive, but the other part is, is I have to learn to have palpation skill. So I put my hands on and I press a little and I feel harder on the right. That tells me I need to explore the liver. And if it's harder on the left, I'm like, "Mm, I need to explore the spleen and the pancreas to see maybe one of those two organs are the ones that are creating the tension on the left. So yes, there's a really big intuitive part, but the other part is, is be aware of what you're feeling when you're touching. So you have to learn, okay, right shoulder, right neck can be liver. But now when I put my hands on and I put my hands on, so I put my hands on the respiratory diaphragm and the liver doesn't feel like anything. Then I go, what else is over here that is on my right side that could do my shoulder and neck? So maybe this person has had chronic bronchitis or chronic asthma. So I'm now going to go see the detective part. I'm now going to go check the lung on the right because maybe it's the right lung and not the liver that's that's doing my shoulder and my neck. So do you see it's like, it's also the marriage of, it's the marriage of your history taking, your anatomy, your understanding functionally how the body works. Then you have to have your palpatory skills and then you have your intuition and no hierarchy. It all goes together to be able to come in and really find 
where is I, where is it you know oh my god i i had this woman who i had this woman come to me this is several years ago or many years ago and she went she came and on the was it yeah on the right hand side she had this pain in her shoulder and the deal is is that the doctors took out her gallbladder you know cuz it's hanging under the liver on the right and then the pain was still there so six months later, they give her a hysterectomy. Pain is still there. Then they took out her appendix. Pain is still there. So she comes to me and what I found, and I took this history from her, but people often forget parts of their own history. And so I've got my hands on the respiratory diaphragm because what am I thinking with her having pain here? I'm thinking liver. I find that her liver got compressed into a really small space, like it compressed into itself. So I do something to let the liver down. And then I'm like, oh, but you know what? The main cause of this is in your lung, the right lung. And what had happened? She remembered it as soon as I put my hands on her lung. She had was a kid sliding down the banister of the stairs of her house. She fell at the bottom and jammed the newel post, the post, up into her liver and her lung. And she was five years old. And it took her this long because she was in her late 50s. It took her that long for her because she'd been in pain for about three years when she saw me. So I undid her liver and allowed it to expand. And then I separated the lobes of her lungs and normalized that. And she never had pain again. So they took all these organs out, you know? So it's like, anyway, I deal with that stuff all the time. You know, I do. I mean, in some ways, I, I think this is how doctors used to work. Yeah. Before they had... Um, access to scans and blood tests you know they were taking a really thorough history they were um, they were doing really sensitive examinations like they were able to discern through their examinations like more subtle um hallmarks so (laughs) I mean you you train you train lots of different practitioners um in your institute um and can you tell me about the the types of practitioners that you do train are they mainly physios are they mainly osteopaths are they chiropractors are they are they none of the above like who do you normally who do you serve from a training perspective so I've had a bit of everything so I've had physical therapists we have something called therapist assistants um I've trained OTs occupational therapists I've trained you know um I've trained uh, one chiropractor came into the practice and I've trained um, a bunch of massage therapists from the area. And then I have lots and lots of people who have never been in the field before. So there's a lot of people who want to get into the field, but they also don't want to get in. They want to come in from a more therapeutic standpoint rather than just a straight up massage standpoint. And so you know, one of the things about my, we have every, we have everybody, you just have to have a level of maturity and a willingness to, you know, study and practice in order to come into my training. And my training is a little over two years long. And we meet four days 
every other month. So because the information, there's so much information that to have you coming more often than that would be so overwhelming. And you need the two months to really integrate all that you've learned and to practice it. So I have, um, you know, uh, three trainings going right now. And with the three trainings, uh, I just, I like, so we're either going to start another one in November. We've got the dates in November or in January of this year. Cause we just started one, uh, like two, a little over two months ago. So, you know, it's a heady training and you really, I really feel like it's so important that first module to start there is because I set up the principles of how a body actually works on the first day. Then we learn to body read. We do a whole body reading thing. And then one of the big principles of the body is that we are actually organized we are embryologically, we are set down in an organized pattern. And one of the things that creates a lot of dysfunction is, is that we're unorganized. So one of the first things I teach in the training, that first module, is we teach a, um, a, 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 a like hands-on kind of, um, oh, I just hate to say it this way, but we teach a uh, an organ, how to organize the body. So we teach it from a fascial and muscle kind of standpoint of how to help the body back to being more organized. Okay, so the next training is available starting in November. It, if we get enough people, we'll start. We'll definitely start it in November. Yeah. So we already have like three people signed up for it for for next November. So we'll see. Great, great. And so for anyone who wants any further information about this training, where can they find you? So through our website, which is Ankrum, A-N-K-R-U-M Institute, Dot com so ancrominstitute.com there is definitely a way to email us through information through the website or yeah, yeah I'll just say it that way because you know there's the email is info at ancrum at ancrominstitute.com so they can also do that you know email us that way and we are happy to answer questions I've got you know several assistants that work with me and so forth and so um and I'm happy to talk to anybody I'm happy to in, you know, email with them, you know, is that even though we have lots of students in multiple classes, my own full private practice, I always love to take time if somebody's got questions, you know. Well, it takes that sort of level of dedication and um, passion that you clearly have for this work to have a successful business and to and a successful practice um, and, and start a training, at, you know, um, training program which you are recruiting on um, on an ongoing basis so all credit to you and thank you very much for carving out time in your day to speak to me and to share your modality with my audience um, I've certainly learned a lot about about um, healing modalities I never understood or heard of before so I really thank you <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thank it was it was a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you. Thank you for listening, Body Mind Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer, 
that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.